So Brad, this week at San Diego Comic Con, and uh, I'm at Costco, you know, stocking up with all. Got to get some waters. Got to get some uh, this and that in terms of paperwork, or, or you know, little knickknacks that you might need to complete a sale, whatever it is. Yep. And yep. Uh, I have been eating relatively healthy in the last few weeks. I'm, I'm down 20 pounds, trying to trying to trying hey. to get, get it old, get it old trim trim Dave Kellett going for Comic Con. Anyway. Uh, I round the corner uh, and see, I can only imagine it's a 400 pack of Nabisco Snacky Treats, uh, (laughs) the variety pack. Yeah, oh, I love a good variety pack. I will admit, Brad, I'm not made of stone. The Nabisco (laughs) variety pack for Comic-Con looked pretty good. A 400 pack of Oreos and cheese-based things and uh, all sorts of treats. The Nutter Butters, the Ritz Bits, the Chips Ahoy, the Nilla Wafers. And I'm going to be honest, Brad, I am not going to be eating great this weekend for San Diego Comic-Con. Well, listen, you're 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 not stretching the truth at all when you say you're not made of stone. I've I've, I've felt that midsection. It's much more like marshmallow. Now I gotta tell you, that was that was uncalled for, Brad Geiger. Uncalled for. <laughs> you're the one who opened it up by saying not made of stone. <laughs> you can't leave an opening line like that and expect me to just let it drift over to plate. It's not what it's not great when my wife takes a single index finger and goes teehee on my stomach. That's the that doesn't help. Uh, yeah. So anyway, San Diego Comic Con for me is hey, I'm gonna need a lot of coffee and continuously, and I'm gonna need a lot of sugar and continuously yeah. if I'm gonna make it through this 16 hour day for five days. Well, you know. Listen, I don't think there's anybody. I, I think we're all trying to eat better, trying to be more healthy. Uh, but when it when something comes up like a family vacation or Comic Con, where you, you're just you're so far outside of your normal routine. Yeah, you you can't expect uh, great things from yourself. You just got to know that that week is going to be a loss, and you're going to come back and get back uh, on the on the horse and and go. F- when you get back, you can't uh, you can't expect yourself more than that. You know how in sports they have the bye week. This is kind of your bye yeah. week. You're like, oh, I'm just <laughs> I'm just gonna have. I'll just be over here in my Comic Con booth eating this 400 pack of Nabisco variety treats. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Uh, athletes have a bye week. Cartoonists have a uh, a week, where you just look at it and you go. Buh. So anyway, if you're at San Diego Comic Con, come by booth one two two eight. I'm on the twelve hundred row, and you'll see me eating a variety of Nabisco <laughs> products. Dave Kellett, very- big fan of processed yeah. sugar. Uh, <laughs> Come by and say hi. And a pretty good variety, too. I mean, you listed off all the greats over there from the fine folks at Nabisco. Well, Brad, Costco does a good job of saying, hey, how do you feel about type 2 diabetes? Would you like some? We can make that happen for you. For the low, low price of $20, you, too, can have type 2 diabetes. <laughs> they, just, they just put it right up in the aisle. Aisle 1, <laughs> aisle type 2, aisle 3. <laughs> Oh, that got me. That got me. Well, on that note, I am going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics, I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and cartoonist of Evil, Inc. And I'm his friend Dave Kellett, who this week is at the big show at San Diego Comic Con at booth 1228. Come say hi. How many times are you going to mention one, two, two, I am going to, you know what, Brad? Holy you can You can go for a long walk off a short pier. <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time before this show is over. Oh, uh, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm going to interrupt you if I hear one, two, two, eight one more time. <laughs> I listen, I got to get one, two, two, eight uh, one more time in the show, and it's going to uh, happen for, towards for the right, end, it, and that's uh, it. I, 
I guarantee it's not. Now say your thing. I did say it, and you're supposed to say, <laughs> oh, and this say week's it? hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. And Brad, Brad, let's talk <laughs> comics. <laughs> let's talk comics, my friend. Hey, <laughs> listen, <laughs> we've got some really good $5 questions over here from our Patreon backers, and I think we should jump right into them. What do you think? I think not, Brad. Not only do we have good questions, we have like a a barn load of questions. Like I was looking down at the list, we've got a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, Brad. We're, we are gonna have to do a lightning round pretty soon. I think we're gonna have to do a lightning round show because we we can only do like five or six questions a show, and we've got like twenty in the in the queue, and that's uh that's <laughs> we're not going to catch up, Brad. <laughs> uh, all right, so let me let me throw the first question out at you, Brad Geiger. This is, comes yes. from our friend Jay Lark, and Jay asks Brad and Dave. Any tips for increasing genuine engagement from my readers on social media? So far, a lot of what I get, especially on Instagram, appears to be from bots or accounts asking for like for a like, etc. Brad Geiger, what do you think? How do how does someone increase their genuine engagement from their readers on social media? Well, uh, so there's a lot of things to unpack there, and and I've got to say it, even though I'm sure uh, <laughs> I'm sure our listeners are getting tired of hearing me say it. Uh, the number one tip is create a great comic and, and do something that's engageable. Uh, if you want to know uh, uh, how to succeed on social media, the first step is do great work. And if you're not getting engagement, my first thought is I need to improve the quality of my comic because if it was if it was hitting if it was finding its audience if it was hitting its audience uh it would be getting engagement and so I always 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 have to say your first step is to redouble your efforts at getting better at your not only your writing because that's a that's a mechanical thing that's something that is Frankly, the more you do it, the better you're going to do it. But if you're working in humor, particularly humor, you've got to realize that you're working in the toughest kind of writing there is, period. And you've got to be much more ruthless about editing, rewriting, pushing yourself, not letting yourself off the hook. Uh, You've got to you've got to first improve what you're posting on social media. That's that's my first thought. What what do you think about that? So I think, yes, as an entry point to the conversation, that is the great way to start it, is that nothing yes. else matters if the comic is not your A game, if you're not doing your best. And and so right. I think that's smart. Um, I will follow that up by saying one thing that I do specifically on Instagram, because it's so easy to do, is that if someone is giving me a bot response or a bot like or is a human being and saying, hey, love your work, gen- your, love your, quote, generic work. Uh, yes. Maybe check out my stuff or maybe give my stuff a like. I immediately block both those bots and people asking for likes for likes. Mm-hmm. And your um, thought might be like, well, hold on now. It's a little cold to, to ban or block the uh, the artist asking for a look. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not what this is for. Uh, that's not the way you behave online. Um, if they wanted, if they sincerely wanted me to check something out, they would, uh, send me an email or message me or get to know me somehow. A message underneath my comic saying, Hey, I like your, I don't even mention the title work. Um, 
come check out my work. You know, like it feels it feels like one step up from a bot. And I I have no compunction against just blocking those people outright because what they're not bringing anything to the table as far as an environment. And I don't want to encourage that or allow that to continue to exist. Yeah. So um, I block those right out. And then as far as what I, what you can do to engage genuinely is that. Um, and this is something that I've learned from uh, Chris Straub on his chainsaw suit comments, and it's something I've learned from Chris Halbach on his Instagram comments, which is if someone does engage you genuinely, you engage them back in your comments, yeah. you know, yeah. a human to a human. So don't let your comment uh, feed under an Instagram comic go uh, unchecked, like double check it once or twice for that first hour that the punk comic goes up and chime in anytime you see something human and engaging and delightful and real. Um, and then uh, you'll find over time that you're teaching your audience to, oh, there's someone behind Brad's comics and it's Brad. Oh, so if right. I comment to Brad, Brad will comment back to me. How lovely. And then what's lovely about that is that the algorithm picks up on the fact that you are genuinely engaging and that you are not a bot posting Brad's comics. Mm -hmm. And that itself helps your work. Brad? Yes. No, I, I, I co-signed that. Also, I'm going to put my, my word in once again for the three C's of social media because uh, I really do think that's an engagement builder. Remember to be posting content along with your commercial, that stuff that says, hey, I've got a Kickstarter, I've got a Patreon, along with curation. That's where you say, here's this other person's work that I like because of XYZ. You're giving people all kinds of reasons to engage with you that aren't necessarily, here's my comic or here's a commercial. Uh, I, I've said it uh, time and time again, we web cartoonists are horrible about curation because we think everything's got to be about our original content. And social media is just that. It's social. So it's not just, think about if you were at a dinner party and all you did was talk about yourself. Uh, you would be very quickly uh, categorized as a boorish uh, guest at that dinner party and probably not invited back. Social media is no different. Every now and again, you got to talk about somebody else. <laughs> Every right, now and again, right. it's not about you. It's right. about someone else. And, and I really do think curation is a, a very good way of increasing engagement. And uh, finally... Uh, know your social media community and know what the norms are to that community. In other words, on Facebook, uh, Facebook itself tends to throttle hashtags. That's why you very seldom see hashtags on Facebook posts because everybody's kind of gotten the hint at this point. Facebook posts with hashtags get throttled, okay? Twitter, on the other hand, seems to be a little bit more accepting of it. More importantly, uh, Twitter users seem to be more accepting of it until you put a big bank of hashtags there. Uh, and then users tend to back away from that. But one or two hashtags, especially if you split it off from the, uh, the main body of the tweet, uh, that's pretty acceptable. Uh, and then you get to Instagram where hashtags are very important because there's no other way for people to discover your work other than through the hashtags. So then you want to use a lot of hashtags, but you want to be very smart about 
how you use the hashtag. Well, actually, Brad, can I can I jump in here as a friend? Yeah. Because our next yeah. question actually feeds right off of this. So why don't we work this in? Oh. Uh, and then we can talk about both of these together. Yeah. Uh, so this comes in from Tyler Mann. It says, Brad and Dave, when using Instagram or Twitter, I never know what hashtags to use. Which, if any, do you use on a regular basis? And how did you decide to use them? For example, yeah. comic versus comics, singular or plural, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this is a great question because it uh, absolutely ties into what you just started to say there, Brad. So go ahead, keep going on your thought, but maybe work that in if you would. Yeah, yeah. So here's here's my thoughts on that. Number one, the so the more I've done, I, I've gotten into Instagram, and I've got to also credit uh, we uh, Scott Kurtz has gotten very interested in Instagram uh, over the past uh, couple months. So he's been uh, getting in touch with me and asking questions and everything, and I've been telling him the little bit that I know, and I've been pointing him to other people that he can reach out to that can give him some more information, like Chris Halbeck. And, uh, and so he's really gotten interested and has been doing some deep dives and been doing some research of his own. And he came back with some research that I didn't have. And, and he's been following, uh, uh, tutorials from a lot of people who are talking about, uh, how to, how to build a following specifically on Instagram. And he came up with a few things that I want to share with you guys here. And that is number one. And by the way, it's what, it's something that I've done throughout the last couple of years, and I've, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time undoing it. But uh, if you have a bank of hashtags that you use repeatedly, in other words, if you just copy and paste hashtags, like I've done for this podcast on iTunes, <laughs> like I've done <laughs> for my comics on Instagram, uh, like I've done in a lot of different ways, uh, when you use the same uh, set of hashtags, you may get identified as a spammer and they might start to uh, throttle you. They might, they might shadow ban you on Instagram and, and, and throttle your posts because you're using the same exact hashtags over and over again. And that feels spammy according to what uh, I'm hearing. And I've, 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 I've seen this backed up in a number of different places. It feels spammy to the algorithm. So don't use the same hashtags over and over again. Now, that's good news if you're sitting there uh, wondering whether you should use comic or comics. The answer is yes. Use comic today. Use comics tomorrow. Use web comics the day after. <laughs> Are you seeing where this is going? Right, the point right. is not to use the same ones over and over again because then you get identified as a spammer. So change up your hashtags. Uh, do you have, what, what do you have to add to that? Do you have a few thoughts? Yeah, no, I think that's smart because basically what you're doing here and in answering reader comments below and in general doing very human actions is you're teaching, you're telling the algorithm, I am not a bot. I am not repeating the same right. actions. I am not just trying to get likes. Uh, you know, you're saying, oh, I'm actually, you, they're, they're basically by going through the day-to-day -day simple motions of logging in Instagram, uh, seeing what people have commented under your comic and then chiming in on it, that alone makes you one step further away from a bot, right? Then, yes. uh, by, to Brad's point with hashtags, not repeating the same copy-paste, 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 webcomics, 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 comics, 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 the right. same hashtags every week, you're also telling the, the algorithm, I am not a bot, I am not a bot, I am not a bot. And you're asking yourself probably now, well, why is this so important? And it's because Instagram is riddled with bots. You can feel it. Yes. 
as yeah. a creator and as a user, you can feel that it's riddled with bots. Um, you know, they always fudge their numbers on how many they are there. But the simple mm-hmm. truth is their business model depends upon the existence of bots to sort of inflate their numbers, both for IPOs and stuff like that, uh, but also for uh, the overall, quote unquote, success of the platform. Like, oh, look at how big we're going, you know, that kind of stuff. Yes, yes. Um, so they could get rid of bots. They know they could. We know they could. They don't do it. It'd be very um, easy uh, to do. Yeah, and some of them, frankly, there's a couple bots that are fun, but for every one that's fun, there are literally two million that are like, this is annoying. What what uh, government or pseudo-government or corporation or person is behind this bot? What's happening? Uh, and so um, anyway, what I'm getting at there is anything that you can do, to Brad's point, to differentiate yourself, differentiate yourself as a human being, the algorithm rewards. And so yes. think about that from an individual uh, posting standpoint of like, how can I make this different from yesterday's? And now, having said that, figure out strategies that can make it easy for you to not have to like reinvent the wheel every day. So whatever that right. means for you, as far as hashtags, so that you're not having to sit there at your computer or on your phone going, all right, let's see, what else can I, hashtag characters, <laughs> hashtag humor. No, 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 use humor yesterday, hashtag funny. Like maybe start coming up with a list or something and, and have it somewhere on your phone. And then that's yeah. a great way to do it. And there's a couple other things that you can do as well. Uh, and, and this has to do with strategy. Uh, first of all, uh, and just broadly, anytime you can put a topical uh, hashtag, and I don't mean topical like current events. I mean, your comic is about birds, so you put hashtag birds uh, or, or, and whatever specific type of bird it is, et cetera. When you can hashtag, uh, and again, this is strictly on Instagram because this level of, of hashtagging gets frowned on in a lot of other social media. But you got to have, I think, just a few hashtags that go right to the topic of what this piece of content is dealing with. And then what I try to do is I try to get a few hashtags that go across the spectrum. In other words, I'll want two or three hashtags that uh, populate in the millions because uh, I know I'm going to appear in front of an awful lot of people for about a second. But that's okay because it's a large group of people. Then I want a few hashtags that are on the other side of that spectrum yep. that are, are, don't get populated uh, a whole lot. Maybe only a hundred or a couple thousand people have used that hashtag. And in that uh, side of the spectrum, it's a very small number of people that are going to see it. But I'm going to be right at the top of that list for a long time. So you want to sprinkle your uh, your hashtags in such a way that some of them are very popular hashtags and some of them are very specific and not so popular hashtags. And uh, that way you kind of spread it out a little bit. So right. that's that's kind of my my uh, thrust right now on hashtags is, uh, is those three areas. I want to super cosign that, Brad, because uh, here's, here's what that does. You've got a couple that go big, a couple that go broad, and then a couple that go super narrow. Right. And then a couple that are even more narrow than that in the sense of like super specific. If your comic today is about pickles, you've got one hashtag pickles, hashtag food in a jar, hashtag, you know what I mean? Right. Like what I'm getting in there is like it's hyper specific. and, and yeah, really kosher dill, kosher yeah. dill. Yeah. You're getting in the uh, yeah. hundreds, but for the possibility that one or two people might stumble upon it uh, with that specific hashtag, great. And then I don't think Brad mentioned this, so I will mention it. Make sure you always have one or two that are specific to you. So hashtag Evil Inc., hashtag Brad yep. Geiger, hashtag Geiger. So two, sprinkle in two or three that are specific to you. 
uh, a few that are, are are in the millions to Brad's point, a few that are in the hundred mm-hmm. thousands, a few that are in the thousands, and a few that are uh, specific. I think that's probably the smart way to go, Brad. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Don't forget branded tags, stuff that is specific to you. That's a great point. Well, all right, let's move on. Let's move on to our next uh, questioner. Uh, you almost got me. <laughs> you almost did it, didn't I you? I almost did it. Oh, question asker. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. All right, let's go on to our next question. But you know what, Brad? I'm just going to see defeat at this point. Uh, you won. You have won, my friend. In the in the Cold War of phrases. Come to the dark side. We have Nabisco products. It's just Brad. Just imagine Brad in the moon planting a flag that says question asker. And that's, that's Brad, right. Brad won. He won the space race. Uh, he did it. Um, <laughs> All right, so this question, Brad, comes in from Courtney Hahn, who I don't think we've heard from before. So hello, Courtney, and welcome. Uh, this says, hi, Brad and Dave. I feel like I've been a medium fish in a small pond, and it's led to a lot of praise and scholarships. Because of this and my ego, I have people say that they don't worry about me, which is nice. But when I have <laughs> issues, it's difficult to ask for help because I feel like I'm supposed to be okay no matter what. Do you ever have any trouble asking for help in writing or drawing? How would you suggest I go about getting over this hang up about feeling like I'm not supposed to ask for help? And then she says, there's so much more to it, but I think I've gotten across the cliff notes. If you want me to elaborate, let me know. No, I think we've gotten it, Courtney. This is great. Um, All right. So here we go, Brad. How, when you are seen, perceived as a success in your life or in your friend group or in your professional sphere, as Brad Geiger, he's got it together. How, Brad, do you get over the fear, the anxiety, the hesitation going, well, actually, I need a little bit of help in this moment and I need to ask for help. How do you, Brad, go about, or or broadly speaking, how, how would you suggest someone go about making that move? That's such a great question. And, and, it, and it's something that uh, I've had personal experience with because I, I've written three books on, uh, that are tutorials on cartooning. I wrote the Everything Cartooning book. I co-wrote How to Make Web Comics, and I wrote the Web Comics Handbook. And I do webcomics.com, and I've done a number of podcasts on comics, talking about comics in all aspects, publishing, drawing, writing, uh, social media. When you have that kind of a background uh, and you need to ask for help, the, what I, especially what happened with me, uh, this, this happened in 2012 when the ad revenue market was really declining on me. And I saw that there was an artist, uh, a cartoonist by the name of John Wigger that was doing not safe for work comics. And I, 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 I had I, I, ne- I had no idea how to get my head around that. I just, I, 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 I wanted to consider it, but I didn't know uh, even where to start. And he, I've seen John at, uh, at comic conventions year after year. He had given me his business card. We had talked in a friendly way online. He had offered to help me uh, learn Clip Studio Paint uh, back in the day. And, uh, so I had my, I had his business card and I finally called him up and I said, John, I, I need to ask you a few questions. I, I really want to know more about this topic. And the first thing that came out of his mouth is you need to ask me questions. The guy that wrote the book on this stuff, (laughs) which is exactly (laughs) the fear that I had. (laughs) It's like, Oh no, don't say that. Uh, but what happened in that moment is that it's a moment of humility. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. And there are worse things than experiencing humility, especially <laughs> when you've got as big of a mouth as I do. Uh, experiencing some humility in your life is not a bad thing. It's, no. it's actually a good <laughs> You did 
didn't have to agree that uh, strongly. No, I wasn't agreeing from a, like, let's make fun of Brad standpoint. I was agreeing from, like, some oh. of my best learning moments in my life have been yeah. when I was truly humbled from either an external or an internal force. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> well, thank you. I, I agree. And, and not only that, you have to remember when you're coming to somebody and asking them in a genuine, sincere way, I, I need your help. You're giving that person, take yourself out of you. Don't go egocentric with, uh, for a second. Don't think about it in terms of you. Think about it in terms of the big picture. Think about it from the other person's standpoint. You're giving that other person a huge compliment, right? Uh, so, so don't think about uh, you. Think about them. You're saying, I need information or uh, experience or advice that you might have. Would you share it with me? That's a huge compliment you're paying that person. And you will find nine chances out of 10 that that person is more than thrilled to share what they know because, let's face it, anybody who's just gotten a compliment uh, is in a very good mood, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So you take yourself out of your head just for a second and look at the big picture uh, and realize that, number one, it's okay and it's, and it's good for you to experience some humility. And number two, you're giving this other person a huge compliment by coming to them and, and in a sincere, polite way. And, and politeness uh, goes hand in hand with it. There is a yeah, oh, right yeah. way to ask for advice. Uh, but in a, it, it, but you're giving that person a huge compliment and chances are they will take it as such. Is that what you found, Dave? Yeah, well, I think you hit on the perfect word right out of the gate. And by the way, I liked your whole answer, but humility mm -hmm. is is an interesting teacher in life. And as yes. we get further and further along with age, we start to develop a sort of egotistical shell. It's like, I know what I'm doing or I should know what I'm doing. And by God, I don't need to change. And I don't need to be curious. And I don't need to be yeah. asking for help. And listen, I say that as someone who themselves got, and at a time still gets too egotistical about like, I'm smart. I know what I'm doing. I, I don't have to ask for help. Ah, I'm doing it right. Yeah. And then what, there comes the fall, right? Like there, that's when right. I get most humbled is because I didn't ask for help. I didn't look around and see what other people were doing. I was like, I know what I'm doing. Blah, 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 blah. And right over the cliff I go, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to give you, and this, I, this is just sort of a funny moment in humility is that the first couple times my, my, so my wife works in TV. She's a TV writer for those that don't remember. And, uh, the first couple of times she took me to a Hollywood event, boy, did I shine my shoes, Brad. And I got, <laughs> oh, I went and got a haircut and maybe bought a new tie and oh boy. Yeah. And here's what I realized in a humility moment. When you're standing in a room with some of the biggest stars and starlets in the world, nobody gives two shits about Dave Kellett over with his shiny shoes, right? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. So yeah. like all of that was my ego, like, whoa, I got to look good for this event. No yeah. one cares. Literally no one cares. Like photographers yes. pushing me out of the way so they can get a photo of somebody else, right? Exactly. I'm a human plant that they're trying to get around to take a photo of. Uh, and what I'm getting at, though, is that in those moments, I probably have swung too far away the other direction now for Hollywood events where my wife's like, could you comb your hair? I mean, at least make an attempt. Um <laughs> But what I'm getting We've at there is that thing. It, it's called a girdle. I want you to, I want to talk to you about this. <laughs> it's spanks for men, David. Get in them. Um, uh, so uh, it's called a shower. Try taking one. Um, no, we got this what, new thing out. It's called soap and water. <laughs> what I'm getting at, though, is that it was a lovely, uh, humbling moment where I realized that uh, because it has a broader implications for how you view yourself in the world is that 
when we walk into a party, we think that all eyes are on us. When we when yes. we're going through our career, we think that all eyes are on us. When when we uh, make some big move in our life, we think that all eyes are on us. Whereas eighty percent of the time, what other people are doing is they're worried about themselves, and that's the truth of human existence, yes. right? They're not worried about you. Don't worry about how your hair looks. Uh, they're not worried about you. Don't worry about the career decisions you're making or faults you might have. Uh, what I'm getting at here is. It is okay to be humble because the truth is everyone is worried about how they are being perceived, how they are yeah. being judged, how they're going through the world, right? And so right. the quote that I always like from C.S. Lewis, who, you know, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, he had that quote that he said, humility is, is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And I always, oh, I always thought, great. oh, that's a great quote. You don't yeah. think that, like, so in Courtney, in this case, when you're going to ask for help, you're not thinking of yourself less of like, oh, Courtney's failed. You're just mm. worried less about the ego that's keeping you from asking for help because it is right. a very human, a very simple, a very basic thing to say, hi, I'm a human going through this world and I'm having trouble with X, Y, Z. Could you help me with X, Y, Z? And humans being social animals, the other ones will say, oh my gosh, Courtney, yes, I would love to help you with X, Y, Z. Thanks for asking. Asking. I'm actually complimented to Brad's point by yes. you asking me for help because you think highly of me. Um, yeah. So it, it's it is um, it is a good step for all of us because I and, and again Brad and I make this mistake every week is that we get too yes. egotistical and we don't ask for help. It is a yeah. common thing that we all have to come back through to through our entire life that we have to say no. I'm still learning. I'm still curious. I don't know everything. I'm not a repository for all of Wikipedia. I need to ask mm -hmm. for help, and that's okay. Yeah. And by the way, when your brain wakes you up at three o'clock in the morning, and I think this is universal, uh, wakes you up and says, oh, hey, Brad, remember that really horrible thing that was really embarrassing in high school when you were a sophomore? <laughs> remember that thing that you did in the lunchroom? And, I and should do you remember that? <laughs> remember. Nobody else remembers that thing. You're the only, because you're the one it happened to. Everybody else was living their lives, seeing things through their spectrum. Uh, and and they, they, if they remember it, they barely remember it and don't remember it with half of the intensity that you do. Go back to sleep. I don't know, Brain. I feel like everybody at the Bad X <laughs> High School saw it happen. <laughs> they didn't. Listen, nobody was even noticing. And you were wearing dark pants and nobody could see, uh, the, 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 you, nobody could see anything. Wait a minute, Brain, what memory are we talking about? Now I'm a little concerned. <laughs> Brain. Well, listen, you had had a lot to drink that day, and it's okay, because sometimes that happens. And you laughed really, you laughed really sometimes hard. Sometimes when you giggle real hard, Brain. <laughs> sometimes, Brain, it's okay when you sneeze with that much force. Your bladder does what it can. But you know what, Brain? But thank God for dark jeans. <laughs> I don't know, Brain. I still want to worry about it 30 years later. No, no, go back to sleep. I'm telling you. <laughs> okay, Brain, let's instead worry about the taxes I have to file next week. <laughs> now that you gotta worry about. <laughs> anyway, Brain, good catching up with you. I've been Brad Geiger. Back to sleep with me. <laughs> hey. If you're listening while you work, take a minute and stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, Brad and I are going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. 
Yeah, because, you know, when you do, you'll get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And an exclusive Patreon post that go even deeper on the Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, no worries. You can still support the show by rating us wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a five-star review and a few kind words. And that, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. And now, let's talk comics. All right, Dave, we've got a question from a $5 Patreon backer, and and this is a real puzzler. I I like this one a lot. Uh, This is going to make you think. You ready for this? Yep, let's do it. All right, it says... Uh, when starting writing for the very first time, what comes first, character, setting, or story? And that comes from our Patreon backer, George Mackay. Uh, George says, uh, listen, I'm writing for the very first time, and I don't know whether I should start with the characters uh, this, uh, or the characters, the setting, or the story, the plot itself. Uh, and what advice do you have for George? Wow, that is a that is a, a, a ten thousand dollar question in writing because <laughs> I think the answer goes like this: whatever is the sparking moment for that story is whatever it is. Uh, yes. And I know that doesn't sound helpful, but here's the mm-hmm. here's the bottom line: I have heard authors and cartoonists and comic book creators and novelists all say, "Oh, this story got started from a single scene in my mind," or "This story got started because of the final moment, and I knew the last line of the book, and I had to figure out what the first <laughs> line and every other line for it was." Yeah. Or sometimes they say. Uh, like, uh, in fact, I looked this uh, author up because I remembered this quote from an interview years ago. Uh, Walter Mosley, who wrote the Easy Rollins uh, novels, the detective novels, uh, I think they're set in the 30s or 40s in Los Angeles. Anyway, um, of which I've only read one, so I'm not trying to pretend like I've, I've, I've read a ton of them. Anyway, whoo, boy, that was a lot of that was a lot of backstory. He, I remember uh, listening to an interview with Walter Mosley one time where he said, that he created an entire novel because he saw a character with a scar over their eye. And he said, how did that character get that scar? And that's how an entire Easy Rollins novel um, came forth from his mind, which is that he saw one character with a scar and just asked a simple question, how did that character get that scar? Mm-hmm. Um, generated a whole 350, 400-page book. Um, Brad, I'm sure you have stories from from creators that you love as well, where they're like, I knew the final scene had to degrade <clears throat> the whole story that came up to that scene. Or uh, I knew I had one character on a train. How did they get on that train? That kind of thing. What, yeah. what are your, what's your thinking, Brad? How does, it, how does it normally start for you? Or how, it is, first of all, let's start from a broad thing. Is there a correct way to do it? A character no. first, a story engine first, or a moment first? That's exactly what I want to talk about is is that, okay, so when we talk about setting up a Patreon, we've got some tips and we've got, okay, first you should do this, first you, then you should do that. You got to make sure you do this other thing. And before you hit the start button, you got to make sure this is covered and, and stuff like that. And, and it's the same thing for setting up a website. And we just talked about a whole bunch of stuff that will help you on social media. When it comes to issues of creativity, all bets are off because there's as many approaches to creativity as there are creators doing the creating. Right. And and there you can never come up, I, I can never tell you how to write a story. Maybe it's going to be character. Maybe it's going to be story. Uh, maybe it's going to be a, an emotion. 
that you're trying to get across and and you're going to write your way through that emotion. It could be 110 different things. Uh, I, I Don't ever let anyone tell you there's a right way or a wrong way to create. There's only your way. That's right. And that's that's right. really what you need to focus on is not whether you're doing it by the book or whether you're doing it in the most efficient way possible. You don't need I don't want you to uh, spend one more second asking yourself if you're doing it the right way. What I want you instead to start focusing on is on how am I going to do it? What's the right way for me? Not so stop thinking about what's the right way. Start thinking about what's my way. Yeah. Right. And once you work on my way, then you can start to refine your way and you can start to uh, improve your way. And and your entire progression as a creator is going to be taking that initial step of what's my way of doing it and making it better. The, The interesting thing here is that one of the most important things, the most important steps in all of this is just giving yourself permission to start. Yes. Because whether it's a single character that intrigues you, a, char- a, a moment in time in the story that in- intrigues you, a, a, a story engine that intrigues you, whatever gets you started, gets the motor revving, that's fine. That's okay. To Brad's point, there's no correct way to start. But giving yourself permission to start with that impetus, with that energy, is is what's the key thing. Because yeah. what is ultimately important is that you are eventually going to have to round out this really interesting character, this really interesting moment, this really interesting plot with all of the other elements so that it's not just really interesting characters in a shitty story or what an amazing story populated by shitty characters. Yeah. Like you're going to have to eventually balance them out. So whatever gets you started is fine. That's okay. That's that's what we all live for is that instant moment of inspiration or that slow boil inspiration that gets you started. That's great that that happens. What, and to Brad's point, whatever way it happens to you is fine. Frankly, right. it's how you get it all collectively over the finish line. That's the trickier part. Um, and so, uh, whether it's characters, moments, story, whatever gets your engine running, uh, use it. That is, that is the, the moments we all wait for use it and run. What do you think, yep. Brad? Yep. That's, uh, I, I can't say it any better than that. That's, uh, that's, uh, the best way to put it, get working and don't worry about whether you're doing it right. You're doing it right. Yeah, because ultimately, uh, it, it is but the first step. It's like running a sprint. Uh, yeah. And uh, whatever gets you over the finish line, that's all the work that got you there. But that first step is just, that's the, the, that's the starting gun, right? So yep. whatever gets you going as a starting gun, use it. That's, a, that's the hardest part, frankly, is finding the inspiration that gets you excited enough that you want to find a story. Um, and, then, and then the equally hard part, I'm realizing, is also telling the story. So never mind. Yeah. Never mind about that being the hardest <laughs> part. I'm going to back away from that. Well... <laughs> They, there's an old story in golf that if you really want to screw a golfer up, you ask them as they're about to tee off, do you inhale or exhale just as you're about to hit the ball? <laughs> That's amazing. What an amazing joke. And what oh. that does is it focuses the person instead of uh, all the things that you've got to do to have a nice, smooth golf swing, which I gave up trying to do uh, 10, 15 years ago, uh, I, instead of taking 
taking them out of that smooth moment in which they're it, it's it's golf is in a lot of sports is a very zen thing. Uh, once you get the muscle memory down, it, it, it's it's this uh, this this dance that you're doing more than a than a physical activity. It's it's a smooth kind of progression. If you start paying attention to little. Uh, intricacies, like whether you inhale and exhale, uh, you're going to have, you're going to be out in the weeds in no time. Uh, right. And writing is no different. Uh, if, if you are hyper aware of, oh, I don't have enough of this and I don't have enough of that. And I'm just starting out. Uh, you're going to be in the weeds yep. <laughs> and trying yep. to hack your way out. Uh, just get started. Go uh, be a little bit Zen about it. Start writing. Uh, the real work of writing isn't this point anyway. It's after you've gotten your first draft done and you need to go back and rewrite it and you need to edit it and you need to perfect it and find out where the holes are and all that kind of stuff. That's yep. where the real work of writing yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but right now, yeah, don't ask yourself whether you're inhaling or exhale. Just swing that club. And let me reword our answer because I think it would be helpful to answer the question behind the question uh -huh. because really the question behind this question, Brad, and it's universal mm -hmm. for Brad, myself, and everybody else, the question behind the question is fear, yeah. right? It's yeah. fear of, am I doing this wrong? Am, if I start my story this way or if I start writing the process, you know, my writing process this way or if I do my characters this way or my storyline this way, am I doing it wrong? And uh, to Brad and my point, just starting, that leap of faith of starting is one of the hardest things to do because you are overcoming your own fear that you are not doing it wrong, um, that there is, in fact, no one path to the mountain, that merely starting is a part of a 10,000-step process and it, don't let yourself freeze up by, well, uh, J.K. Rowling says I have. she started with characters, so I guess I have to start with characters. And well, yeah. no, uh, the, you know, George Lucas started with story and then populated characters, so who cares? Or that I, What I'm getting at. And frankly, maybe it would be helpful for people to hear uh, how we started ours. And so let me take you for a two-second tour of how I started Drive about nine mm. or ten years ago. Okay. Which was, I had three competing ideas that I wanted to craft a story around. I wanted to have it where humanity got an interstellar drive engine, right? That they could go from one star to another uh, faster than light. But I wanted it to be owned and controlled by one family, kind of like a house of sod, but for an interstellar drive, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I wanted that possibility. I also wanted uh, the drive to have been stolen from aliens who think of their creations in an almost semi-religious animistic way, right? Mm -hmm. So that the the creation of an engine or the creation of a of a device is uh, imbues it with a certain spirituality. So it was really pissing them off that humans stole this drive. So that was the second thing. And then the third thing is I wanted there to be one species of alien that could see gravity and therefore could s steer a ship in a faster than light speed. Um, and so that's all I had. I didn't have any of the characters that people, for the most part, know and love about Drive. I didn't have any of the of the the world building about how the Empire was structured or how the other alien structures. I just had those three elements, and that's yeah. how I started Drive. Yeah. Um, for, and so for Brad, for you, what was the organizing principle for Evil Link? Like, how did you? What was the thing that started it for you? I, I don't know where, which category this falls into. I mine started with a concept. And it, the concept was a corporation run by supervillains. That was that was it. 
<laughs> it was right. like I thought if uh, the concept of a corporation run by supervillains to me had enough uh, legs to it that I, oh, I figured yeah. I could write to that in in a number of different permutations for a long time. There'd be a lot of good stories. That There's a would lot come there. About. Yeah. 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 So so it was it was the concept first, and then I populated it with uh, characters, uh, and then the stories came after that. So I I I, I kind of went at it at a, at a roundabout way. It was concept yeah. first, yeah. and and a as an artist, I've always been jealous of that concept because it it so immediately sells itself. Like you immediately know what that world is, no yeah. matter who you are, what kind of writer you are. Like I could write to that. I could write to supervillains running a corporation. That's amazing. That's an amazing idea. Yeah. Uh, and then secondly, uh, Brad and I came at it totally different. Brad came at it from from one line elevator pitch concept. I came at it with frankly story engine uh, chunks. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we, he and I could both think of characters that or, or the authors that started from character and then built the world out from there. Um, so what we're getting at there is that regardless Regardless of how you do it, the bigger question here is just getting over the fear to start because starting is half the battle. Right. Um, and and not so, only that, but I got to throw this in because it's just uh, occurred to me. And that is that was kind of not true saying I started with that with that concept. What I did was I started with a comic strip that I did for four and a half years. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and 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 during that comic strip, during Greystone Inn, uh, the concept of a uh, uh, of a corporation run by supervillains came up in a one week storyline. So it was part of that other thing that I had done, but I don't know that I could have gotten to a corporation run by supervillains without starting with Greystone Inn. It just didn't, I wasn't just sitting there saying, Oh, I know I'm going to do a new comic. It's going to be this thing. I was doing a comic strip that was completely unrelated. And this concept came up and then I realized, Oh, geez, this is this is a whole comic strip of itself, and it's got a lot better uh, entry points for new readers than Greystone did. And I was feeling a need to uh, change anyway, so that became the new strip. But uh, but but really, in the same way that we said not too long ago about how the best way to beat writer's block, we did that in pro tips. Uh, I think uh, a little while ago, best way to to beat writer's block is to just start writing and you got to go through sometimes a lot of crap uh before you get to the good stuff and and the, what uh, keeps us blocked up as writers is we think we got to start writing good stuff when right. a lot of times we got to start writing crap great stone Inn wasn't necessarily crap but it was the process that i needed to go through for four and a half years before i was ready as a creator to do evil inc Right, because what you were doing in the meantime is you were uh, refining your editorial eye and yeah. your skill set so that the both of them, after four and a half years, could go, hey, you know what? You know, that kind of a thing yes. where where you now know what to edit out. You now know what to focus in on. You now know how to how to write it better and execute it better. Um, and frankly, you know, you now, after those four and a half years, could spot the better idea that was embedded within an idea. So, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, I think Brad's point is super excellent there. So uh, bravo to Brad. But anyway, the the idea is, and we wish you both well on it, is really just starting, getting over the fear yeah. and just starting with whatever spark works for you. And I think that puts a button on it. Don't you think, Brad? Absolutely. And that brings us to another $5 question from a Patreon backer, Francis Foster. You want to hear what Francis is up to? I do want to hear what, I don't think we've ever heard from Francis before. So yeah. welcome, Francis. So Francis writes, uh, this is a follow-up to the would you still do a comic even if nobody read it discussion. 
And Francis says, other than monetary rewards and analytics, in other words, likes and reblogs, et cetera, what gratifications do you get from your readers? Asking as someone who isn't looking to monetize their work, nor can be bothered to keep track of stats. In other words, he says, uh, take, mon- take money and analytics out of the equation. What's the gratification you get from comics? Oh, boy. This is a great question. Uh, so, okay, we're removing money from the equation. We're removing yeah. stats and likes and reblogs. I like this. Right. What gratifications do I get? So the, he would like us to focus specifically on from readers. Okay, yeah. before I, I, I will answer that. But before I do that, I will say there is that phrase that the French came up with in the 19th century called art for art's sake. Yeah, And I, I actually can't pronounce it in French. I, as we all know from my pronunciation of croissant, I can't do it. Uh, it's like <laughs> l'art pour... It's, <laughs> Dylan McConnell will email me. It's something like l'art pour l'art or whatever. Anyway, it's art for art's sake <laughs> is the phrase in English. Uh, and the idea there is that there is a joy and a satisfaction and a worthiness just in creating art just because you wanted to create, create art, right? Yeah. And so I think I feel that, Brad feels that, I'm sure Francis feels that, I'm sure everybody feels that, where sometimes you just create art just for the joy and the beauty of creating art in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. I, I get that even if there's no monetary uh, uh, remuneration, that's a mm. word I hate, remuneration. Wow, and that isn't even a French word. <laughs> language it's my friend anyway uh, now i understand why you keep ending up with a ham sandwich when you're out when you're uh, asking for an almond uh, croissant my friend you have it wrong i'm wanting the ham sandwich i keep getting the damn almonds that's uh that's uh by the way i, I don't want to i don't want to take you off track but i do have to say this because it came up in our discord server okay canthera says you're pronouncing the j as if it were spanish not french so ham on sounds like amand the J is supposed to be pronounced like that in English, but softer without the D sound at the beginning. And that's why you keep getting the wrong sandwich. She explained oh. it all. She explained it all in Discord, man. It I got to go check that out. So so yeah. as, a, as an English and Spanish speaker, I'm too tilted towards, ah, I see what my mistake was. Thank you. Yes, yes. Doff of the cap. My next trip to Paris sometime in 2030 will be, uh, will be helped. <laughs> I'll finally get that ham and cheese croissant that I've been wanting. Uh, but right. to bring you back on track, you were talking about art for art's sake. Yes. So uh, having established that, I think both Brad and I and yourself probably create art for art's sake, uh, which is, I think, true. I think uh, so many of humans do that for that sake. Yes. Now, from readers, the gratification I get is 10,000 fold. Um, And thankfully, because I write humor, I very often get not I don't want to say very often. In fact, it's not even often at all. Once a quarter, maybe a couple of times a year, I will get an email that says, I just went through a divorce and I had one of the darkest years of my life. And Mm -hmm. one of the few things that lifted me out of my shitty place was um, reading your comics. Or I'll get an email. And again, these are not like super frequent. They're once or twice a year. I'll get an email that says something like, uh, my my son was really hitting a depression that had him borderline suicidal. And your comics were lifting him out of that. Or I'll get something that's saying like, hey... I on a on a forum your comics help me meet my girlfriend and or my boyfriend and we're we're hanging out because we love you and, yeah. and those moments and all of them if you if you notice they're all about human connection they're all about humans to humans making one another's lives better oh. and isn't that not to sound like my grandmother but isn't that what we're all meant to be doing here on this earth yeah. you know like forget money, forget, you know, we're all going to be cold and in the grave at some point. So uh, God forbid you make the world a little bit better with your art and with your presence and what, what you put out into the world. 
Um, so much of what you just said, especially the human connection part, uh, resonated with me uh, because ever since I started Evil Inc. After Dark, I'll get an email that says, you know, Brad, I was feeling kind of bound up lately and a little bit antsy. She's <laughs> Louise. I was feeling a little antsy and... Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop well, that's it! A, no! That's a, that's no, a human connection. I was making a beautiful that. point about humans helping humans and making their lives better. So was I! Brad! <laughs> Damn it! Oh, boy. Well, we had a, a nice little trip to the other side of town like, there. Where... Like yours is so much better. Uh, suicide. Come on. I, no, I know this has happened for Brad, too, because oh, yeah. he has shared those emails with me in the past that, like, yeah. Evil Link has has made someone laugh in a dark moment. Or, yeah. uh, you know, or I've seen it at Comic-Cons where people come up to you and they say, you know, uh, for whatever reason, I fell out of comics, but Evil Link's brought me back to comics. And now I'm reading them a lot. And my life is better because of you, Brad Geiger. Oh, yeah. uh, I've seen that happen. I have, I've seen a lot of people that come up and they say, like, I was stationed uh, in Iraq or I was stationed over yes. in the Middle East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my only real contact was through things like web comics and things that I could easily uh, get uh, online. And, uh, you know, that that really kept, uh, you know, kept me entertained. It, it kept my mind off of things. I had 30 seconds where I wasn't thinking about where I was and what I was doing. Uh, stuff like that is is nice. <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah. nice to know that you can be uh, uh, part of somebody's uh, mental health moment where they can Absolutely. take just a second and say, oh, OK. And especially like you hit the nail right on the head when you're working in humor. Uh, par- part of the worst thing about working in humor isn't when a joke misses. It's the fact that as cartoonists, we never get to hear our laughs that we get. You know, right. the, the, the most, the closest we get is when somebody takes a moment to write us an email or, or ping us on social media saying, oh, I love that. That was great. Uh, I'm seeing that so much. on. That's been really what's driving me on Instagram. I'm getting that more on Instagram than I'm getting anyplace else. Just people taking a moment to saying, ah, that one got me. That one really was good. Uh, right. We never get to see, hear our laughter uh, otherwise. Uh, and so that's really super important. And when you're working in humor, it is so difficult to, to really find that perfect balance of, uh, of what's going to connect with somebody and what's going to make it really funny and, and not pushing it so far that it becomes hard for people to understand, you know, finding that perfect balance that makes it funny. Uh, when you realize that you've connected that, when you've uh, accomplished that successfully, yeah. there's no greater feeling in the world. And for me, I end up chasing that dragon year after year after year. You know, it's it's like I know not every one of them is hitting with every one of my readers, but knowing that I'm connecting uh, with with some degree of regular uh, regularity. Uh, yeah. that's a that's a fantastic feeling. And that's what it is for me is is that connection. I'm so glad you used the phrase chasing the dragon because uh, uh, yeah. I actually one of the things that Comic Cons do for me, and I know that the, they don't do this for every other cartoonist. And I know that sometimes the costs and hassle of going to a Comic Cons uh, outweigh these gratifications for other cartoonists. But for me, every year, one of the reasons why I so look forward to Comic Con is that it's a genuine chasing of the dragon of the human to human, someone looking me in the eye and going, 
Here's some fan art I drew of your character. Here's some brownies I made you because I love your comic so much. Or here's a handshake that is super sincere and you can tell that I'm kind of nervous meeting you because that's how much your comics mean to me. And Brad, I'm not kidding when I say I come out of Comic-Con on a high that I carry yeah. for at least a month. Uh, and frankly, uh, logically, I carry it all year, but emotionally, I carry it for like a month where mm -hmm. I go, oh, geez, I feel great about my comics. And that kind of gratification has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with likes. It's all about a human to human moment. And I, I can't tell you how much that means to me coming out of Comic-Con at San Diego booth 1228. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you did it. I did it. <laughs> You I did sneak. it. Oh, uh, you sneak. Oh, my gosh. I think I'm this week's winner of uh, getting it in one last time. The old San Diego Comic-Con booth 1228. That's right. Dave Kelly will be all five days at San Diego Comic-Con on the oh 1200 road. That's right. That's the web comics area of San Diego Comic-Con. Look for Dave Kelly at booth 1228. Oh, my God. Oh, I, I, here I was, I, was, I was hooked right in. I'm like, oh, man, that is really nice that's a good point about comic conventions one two two eight oh <laughs> <shucks>. <laughs> uh, oh, oh you led me down the primrose path oh that's uh, all right I, you know what's funny 99 percent of that was sincere and then i'm like hey wait a minute i can work the booth in one last time <laughs> well listen i think we've got time for another question what do you think Sure. Let me ask you this one, Brad. This one comes in from Kayla Swain, and she writes, Brad and Dave, do you guys add page numbers to your books? Why or why not? And if you do do it, is there an easy way to do it? Um, and so, Brad, you are uh, the resident expert at uh, Adobe InDesign and in general at Layout after a decade of working in newspapers. So yeah. uh, first, you go ahead and answer, Kayla, if you do or do not add page numbers and then how you do it. I did for a while, uh, and if I got to go back and look and see if I did it on my last book. Uh, so here's what happened: I was looking, uh, was trying to research. I was trying to research for some stuff uh, for my book. Uh, for the web comics handbook ab about publishing and so forth, and so I was getting a lot of information on what kind of things you have to have on a book. Like you have to have the barcode on the back. That if you're going into distribution, that's a must. And things like the special categories that are often found in the upper left-hand corner of the back cover. All of those things, uh, the indicia page, uh, the the copyright uh, notation, all that stuff. I was looking up. And one of the things uh, that I think it was a library association was recommending was was page numbers. Uh, in fact, they were quite adamant. It was like one of those, uh, this is not an official book unless it's got page numbers uh, sort of thing. I don't, I, 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 and so I put page numbers on all of the Evil Ink graphic novels, uh, one through nine, when I was putting them out. Uh, I, and then I was kind of looking at it and, and it was taking up a lot of space that I didn't want to give up. And uh, I didn't, I just don't know from a practical standpoint, who's ever going to use a page number in a graphic okay. novel. Okay. In other words, in a, in a, in a novel, I could see uh, somebody saying, uh, well, uh, as you can clearly see on page 94, he admits to treason, you know, uh, okay, that's important. You got to have a index of what page that treason was. Uh, but in a graphic novel, who's using that? Uh, so I, I don't think I did it in the, in the last couple of books. However, there is an easy way to do it in InDesign. Having said that, 
<laughs> I, I'll be darned if I can say it off the top of my head, but I will put it in the show notes for our Patreon backers. It, it's very easy to do an InDesign. It involves the, the uh, number sign, uh, what we call a hashtag now. It involves the number sign and giving it a special designation in your text tool. Uh, but I'll, I'll put that in the show notes along with some uh, easy tutorial stuff uh, uh, so you can follow it along there. But it is easy to do if you want to do it. What do you think, Dave? Do you do page numbers? Uh, I do, um, especially in Drive, largely for the reasons that you mentioned, which is mm-hmm. uh, I like to give people uh, a way sign where they can say like, well, where do, who said that? You know, I don't remember that ever being said in the story. And someone else can go, oh, page 54 of, of, uh, of Act 2, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so Mm -hmm. have you ever seen that happen? I have, you know, yes, actually. Uh, yes. I was going to be hesitant about it, but yes, I have seen that happen, especially on the, um, the Patreon comments for drive. Like there's a really lively, um, fan theories and discussions that go on. Yeah. I've, I've seen your, your Patreon discussion and it's, it's, it's robust. So I, (laughs) I completely believe that that's going on. Absolutely. It is. And and frankly, I don't know how I lucked out with that, but anyway, that doesn't matter. Uh, so the, the important thing to mention is that they do it one of two ways. They either reference the URL or they'll say like, Oh, I happen to have, you know, act two of the book right next to me and it's on page 38. Oh, I flipped and it is on, they did say that on page 38, uh, that kind of thing. And so for me, I also put an index in the back of the drive books, uh, for certain Mm -hmm kinds of things like, uh, hey, here's all the found objects, here's all the maps, and they're on these pages. And so you, uh, an index is made virtually useless unless there are page numbers. Yeah. Um, and so for that, I do it. But here's the thing. Uh, for the Sheldon books, I put it on there so that if someone ever wanted to reference, they could. But is it necessary? 99.999% of the time, no. Like, no one yeah. needs it. Yeah. Uh, I will disagree with Brad that I don't think it takes up a lot of mental space to put it there. Like, I don't know that no one's going like, oh, this page would be beautiful, except for this page number at the bottom. Damn this thing. You know, that kind of <laughs> like I'm looking at I'm looking at Evil Inc. Volume six. While you were talking, I stood up and yeah. grabbed it off my bookshelf, which is right next to me. And so Brad has things at the bottom that actually I think he's moved away from. And so I would agree with this. He used to have Brad Geiger, the page number, and then on the far side, Evil Inc. Annual Report, Volume 9. And my thought to pass Brad, and I think even Brad would say this to pass Brad, Mm -hmm. is no one needs to see Brad Geiger at the bottom and no one needs to see Evil Inc. Annual Report, Volume 9 at the bottom. I think both of us would agree that like they know what they're holding at that point and they know they don't need to know who wrote it. Um, but so if you're the kind of person that like, I don't even think novels need that. A lot of novels have that too. And that's yeah. probably where Brad and I got that. That's exactly but, where I got that was. And that was the same research that I'd done that said it had to have a page number. It said on the left-hand side, you can put the author on the right-hand side, you can put the title. And so I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. And I just, and, and what happened was after I'd done it for a few uh, years, I looked at it and had the exact same reaction you had where it was like, why the hell am I doing this? <laughs> that looks horrible. But one simple little page number down there uh, uh, would not hurt things aesthetically a bit. It, it yeah. really wouldn't. Now, having said that, though, I'm actually, uh, the thing that I'm wondering if, if uh, like, there's certain novels, like, say, Watchmen, where it yeah. so perfectly fills the page, where if you put a page number at the bottom of Watchmen, I, I actually do think Brad's right that that would be mm-hmm. like, why, why is that there? It's a lot of weird negative space at the bottom, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And frankly, does anyone need to reference in Watchmen where Dr. Manhattan went to Mars? I mean, I guess so. I guess, y- yes, yes, the, yeah. the truth is somebody probably does. But 
Um, and, and it's akin to drive when I say that. Uh, but 99.99% of the readership experience doesn't need that. Right, Brad? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you'll see in comic books, you'll see people uh, sometimes hide them inside of a inside corner of uh, of a side panel. Yeah, you know, that's like true. If you, that's... You'll see it on the bottom panel on the outside corner. You'll see it just hiding uh, right inside the panel there. Uh, so, uh, but then again, if you're if you're hiding it, is it useful? Right, right. Um... You know, how useful is something that you're hiding? <laughs> yeah, no, I guess you're right. Uh, the um, I'm looking through different books now with page numbers, and I, this is actually more of a more of an existential moment than I thought it was. Yeah. Like, I'm actually wondering, putting page numbers onto a book is that an egotistical move from an author who thinks that someday it might be important for someone to reference this page? Exactly. I, and now I'm now I'm wondering if I'm wrong, Brad. <laughs> now, you're, well, no, clearly you're not because you're seeing people use it, and if people are using it, then then it, it's a good thing. I, I mean, you can't question that. If it's being used, it's good. And like you said, it's not taking up any any room. Uh, you know, it's not it's not aesthetically hurting you. Uh, I, my experience has been different. I've never known anybody to do that. And for for my stuff, they you know they can say, well, in in this chapter or in this volume or again on this URL that the X Y Z happened. Uh, but you know, it, 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 if it's being used, if it's something that your audience finds useful, then go with it. Uh, but it, on the other hand, if, if you're looking at your page layout and you're like, oh, where the heck am I going to shoehorn in a page number? I don't know. I think you got bigger things to worry about. Yeah. Well, you know what? Having just flipped through the Watchmen, I actually have a totally unrelated question for you, Brad. Okay. Uh, the character Ozymandias. Do you remember Ozymandias from the Watchmen? Yes. Yes. This, the this completely popped in just from flipping through Watchmen right now. Uh, Adrian Veidt, the the smart one on on the Watchmen team, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Did he secretly have superpowers? You know how they always said, like, Dr. Manhattan was the only one that actually had superpowers. But did right. Ozymandias kind of secretly have superpowers? Unless you count like as being super smart or something like that, I don't know that he had superpowers per se. I can't. I'm 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 going back through the story and I'm trying to remember, uh, you know, a, a point at which he exhibited superhuman abilities, and I I don't recall one off the top of my head. Well, I just I I vaguely remember him beating the shit out of uh, the other two when they came to the Antarctic or whatever. And mm-hmm. he was also super smart. And I'm wondering, like, was that kind of the hidden through line is that Adrian was the only one aside from Dr. Manhattan that also had power? This is a propose of nothing. Like, who cares, by the way? Why are we even talking about this? Why did I bring this up? What a dumb end of show discussion. Why am a I? A propose? A propose? How do you say it? Go ahead. School me you mean, on it. You mean apropos? Apropos. Oh, for God's sake. What did I say? A propose? <laughs> you said a propose. A propose. It's a propose. Like oh, my God, Brad. Let me tell you something. That ain't a propose. And nothing. <laughs> Holy shit, Brad. And nothing at all over there. It left me nonplussed. Brad, hold on. I got a couple questions for you about the Watchmen. <laughs> it's a purpose of nothing. So you got a couple minutes here? Yeah, I got a couple minutes for you. I got a unappropriate uh, <laughs> right question here. for you. It's unappropriate <laughs> of nothing. Wow, a propus. What a proud moment a for me. A propus. 
Well, Good listen. job, high school and college, getting me to that moment. Good job. We're not going to do better than that, so it's up to me to say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. <laughs> Your hosts have been the most appropriate guy I've ever met. <laughs> Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com. You should check that out. It's good stuff. And the cartoonist of Evil Link. Oh, are you ready for this? Get out your pencils. <laughs> Evil-comic.com. That's appropriate if you having fun. Get out your pencils. And the conveniently non-plused Dave Kellett, co-director of <laughs> Stripped and cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. You can see him at San Diego Comic-Con booth number 1228. Brad Geiger winning a thousand friendship points. That's that- right, baby. <laughs> and the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. Comic Lab is made possible by your support on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So we're going to say that twice. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So, Brad, as you were slowly saying one, two, two, eight, I was making the maddest dash to the little button that gets me to be able to do. It was just like, oh, God, he's saying it. He's actually saying it. Quick, quick, get to the button. Quick, quick, quick. I'm so glad you didn't hit the wrong button. It would have been completely different. It would have been Orson Welles. Oh, Brad is saying my booth number. He's saying my booth number. Oh, that would have been even better. Ha, 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 ha.